This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. So you'll notice you've got two handouts tonight. The first one, um, for anyone who wasn't here last week, uh, the question arose about a word in Jeremiah 10.22, the word it. Not a word that we hear a lot or use a lot. And so um, I, I was unprepared with an answer for what that word means. And so this is uh, some, some research that I, I did trying to determine what the meaning of that word is. So um, I gave it to you in that form. Hopefully it could be a help not just to understand this word, but to think about some of the tools we can use when we're trying to determine uh, what something means in Scripture. First of all, if you don't have a copy of Strong's Concordance, I'd, I'd suggest that you get it. Um, it's a very helpful tool because it can give you both the, the Hebrew, def, Hebrew or Greek definition of a word, but also it can give you the other references where that word is mentioned. And you can use that context to help you with your understanding as well. So I gave you the definition there. Um, and just for explanation's sake, the words at the end there past the, the long horizontal line, those are all ways that that word is translated in our English King James Bible. Um, and so, so I gave you that. Um, I also, if, if you're, if you want, there's a there's an app that I use that has Strong's built into it. So I can just pull pull a verse up and tap the word, and it, it it brings me to the Strong's number, and I can look at the other references that way. So if you'd prefer something like that over a book, I'd be happy to give you the information on that too. Um, but then, the dictionary can be a really helpful tool too. <laughs> Sometimes it can give us good insight, sometimes not so much, but that it was very helpful to me in determining the, the meaning here. And um, I, I provided what other Bible translations um, put for this word. And by doing that, I'm not, I'm not meaning to condone other Bible translations. I, I personally am a King James only guy. I, that's what I preach from, that's what I teach from, that's what I read, that's what I study. Um, but in a case like this, I think it can be helpful uh, because we have to realize that, at least for some of the translations, um, there were some very well-educated Bible, uh, Bible language scholars who were involved in the translation. And uh, so looking at what they had to say, what they thought was a good translation for an individual word like this, I think can be uh, something that can be helpful. Um, so uh, just th this is the study that I did and the, the conclusion I came to. I hope it can be a help to you both in understanding that word, but also maybe thinking about some of those things when we come across a word like that. Um, what should we do? Where should we go? What would be maybe the process to follow in trying to determine what it, what it means? But I do appreciate the question, um, and I do want to see if there are questions or comments this week from the Bible reading that you've done uh, from last week, if there are specific things you want to bring up, specific questions that you have before we get started with the lesson. All right. Well, join me, please, in Jeremiah 14. Uh, your class schedule says that tonight we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 12 and, fi and 15. Um, but after doing a little bit more study, I, I think it would be most helpful for us to focus in on chapters 14 and 15 instead. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to work through the conversation between Jeremiah and God that takes place here in chapters 14 and 15. 
as we consider this fifth lesson from Jeremiah's life. Uh, I've entitled it, I Plead With Thee, uh, The Prayers of Jeremiah. In China, there are a lot of rules about how you properly address other people. Uh, it is impolite to call someone by their full name, first and last name, in China. I just learned that today. I didn't know that. But, um, so I am told you are just supposed to use their first name, but if you're going to show proper respect and friendliness, um, you have to use the right title before that name as well. And so if you are friends or close acquaintances with someone, you could use Lao if they're older than you, or Chao if they are younger than you. But there are lots of other titles as well, um, all of which could be appropriate in different settings or with different people. For example, upon meeting a man you didn't know, you might call him Liao Yeye if he's old. If he's a bit younger than that, it might be more appropriate to call him Da Ye, Da Bo, or Da Shu, based on his age. If he's young enough, you might choose to call him Ge. Or you might just want to play it safe and use Shan Sheng. These are all a few of the, there are other options as well, but these are some of the basic options upon meeting a, a man that might be the proper title to use in talking to him. You would use this uh, followed by his first name if you know it. If any of you know Chinese, by the way, please forgive my struggling pronunciation. Um, but like in many Eastern cultures, it can be hard to properly navigate the culture and make sure that you address others and speak to them in appropriate ways. My brother Matt, who as many of you know is a missionary in Cambodia, has talked about the many different ways in which you might address somebody in Cambodia and uh, trying to navigate that and make sure that you, you do that properly. Well, even in our culture, we understand that you speak to different people in different ways. Your vocabulary and tone would no doubt be different if you were addressing your kids or grandkids as opposed to if you were addressing your boss. You might be thinking, what does this have to do with Jeremiah or prayer? Well, what is prayer? Talking to God. When I ask the kids in Frontline, um, I expect and usually receive that proper and simple answer, prayer is talking to God. But if prayer is talking to God, which kind of talking is it? Is it supposed to be like talking to your boss? Talking to a spouse? Talking to a friend? To a king? To a father? How are we supposed to talk to God? And I'm not going to pretend to give an overview of prayer tonight, but we're going to consider a conversation the prophet Jeremiah had with God. And I think that this one conversation is illustrative of many that Jeremiah had with God. And I hope that as we consider it, we'll be able to glean some helpful lessons that not only help us appreciate Jeremiah's deep relationship with God, but also instruct us in our own prayer life. As always, as we're getting into this chapter, I want to make sure that we're trying to place ourselves properly on the timeline of Jeremiah's life. Uh, there is some disagreement about exactly when this chapter falls, but it's still fairly early in Jeremiah's ministry, probably still under the reign of Josiah. Uh, the first verse of chapter 14 mentions the dearth. 
and that word literally means a drought. But there is no mention of a drought um, as part of the, underneath the, the reigns of those kings that Jeremiah ministered under. So we're not, that doesn't really help us too much. It would have been something to, to identify that time for people that were living in Jeremiah's time. Um, and this is, as he's prophesying here, this drought, uh, whatever it is exactly, is going on. It was interesting to me as I studied for this week to think back over what we've considered over the past two weeks. So two weeks ago, we looked at Jeremiah's preaching. And what was it that allowed Jeremiah's preaching ministry to be what it needed to be? Well, it was his heart. And that was our focus last week. But what is it that made Jeremiah's heart what it needed to be? Well, it was primarily his walk with God. And, and we're going to consider the heart of that walk tonight, Jeremiah's prayer life. In a sense, two weeks ago we looked at the surface of who Jeremiah was on the outside, and now we're moving deeper and deeper into who he is and what really makes him tick. So let's begin in Jeremiah 14, verse 17. Uh, in these final verses of chapter 14, we find that Jeremiah prays for the nation. Verse 17 begins, interestingly enough, with a command from God. God is commanding Jeremiah to preach the words of verses 17 and 18 to the people of Judah. But though they are words commanded by God, I do think that they are a clear reflection at the same time of Jeremiah's own heart. I think he's genuine in the expression he gives here of his sorrow. So picking up in verse 17, we see Jeremiah's tears. God says, therefore, thou shalt say this word unto them. Let mine eyes run down with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people is broken with a great breach, with a very grievous blow. If I go forth into the field, then behold the slain with the sword. And if I enter into the city, then behold them that are sick with famine. Yea, both the prophet and the priest go about into a land that they know not. Now, as we saw last week, this sort of expression of heart was by no means foreign to Jeremiah. Uh, he's saddened by the vision of the slain and by the vision of those who are languishing with, hun with hunger. I, it's not clear whether he's referring to the hunger they're experiencing because of the drought or if he's looking towards the day when, Jer when, when Jer Jerusalem is going to be under siege and the hunger that will come then. Um, but he's weeping over this. He's also, he makes mention of the priests and the prophets. And uh, he's... He is saddened by the, the ignorance and ineffectiveness of those who are considered religious leaders. Uh, if you go back to verses 13 through 16 of chapter 17, um, I'm sorry, chapter 14, God talks about the lies of the prophets of Jeremiah's day. And there's a lot of that talk throughout the book of Jeremiah. A lot of condemnation of the prophets and of the priests. Those who the people should have been able to look up to for spiritual guidance and yet they're lying to the people, they're misguiding the people. They are, they are rejecting Jeremiah and his message, and in doing so, rejecting the message of God. But we see here, in these verses, Jeremiah's heart is, is bared before the Lord. His heart is in line with God's heart. And here, like in other places, his words and God's words seem to just flow together. But as we'll see throughout this conversation between God and Jeremiah... 
his heart was honest and open before God. That's one of the hallmarks of Jeremiah's prayers throughout this, week, throughout this, this uh, book. He was emotionally honest in his prayer life. We see a man openly admitting his brokenness, but as he speaks these sorrowful words, they're immediately followed by Jeremiah's questions. Verse 19, Jeremiah asks, Hast thou utterly rejected Judah? Hath thy soul loathed Zion? Why hast thou smitten us, and there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, and there is no good, and for the time of healing, and behold, trouble. So God commanded Jeremiah to speak verses 17 and 18. Then, as Jeremiah considers those words, he is struck once again by the finality of God's judgment, and he turns to asking God these questions. Have you rejected us? Do you hate us? Why are you striking us down and not helping us back up? So Jeremiah is questioning God. The question is, is Jeremiah out of line? Now it's hard to tell from this verse exactly what was the state of Jeremiah's heart or what was the tone of this question. But I think the surrounding verses help us to determine these were not accusatory questions. Um, there are basically two different ways to ask the question, why? You can ask it, why? Or you can ask it, why? One of them is an attack, and the other is seeking understanding. And I believe that Jeremiah, as he is asking these questions of God, he is truly seeking understanding. But even under those circumstances, is it okay to question God? And that's a, that's, that in itself is a question that we could spend a lot of time discussing and considering from Scripture. Are we allowed to ask why? And I think that when the heart is right, and the desire is to truly understand God's answer, then yes, it is okay to ask God why. We see a great example of that, someone questioning God in the right way in the book of Habakkuk. Um, it would be well worth your time to consider the back and forth between Habakkuk and God in that book. It's very instructive. But moving on, in verse 20, we find Jeremiah's admission. Jeremiah is not afraid to ask questions of God, but he does not do it from a naive or self-righteous stance. He freely admits in verse 20, We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. Jeremiah clearly saw himself and his own sinful heart. He clearly saw the sinfulness of his nation. And he admitted it. He confessed it before God. As Jeremiah came before God, he wasn't kidding himself about the spiritual state of his nation. He wasn't kidding himself about the sinfulness of his own heart. He was free to admit that sin to God, to confess it before God. He wasn't trying to put up some kind of a show or trying to fool himself about what was really going on. After that confession, verse 21 finds Jeremiah's request. He says, do not abhor us for thy name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. Remember, break not thy covenant with us. And this, this short prayer right here, I think is very instructive. We find two very important bases 
for Jeremiah's plea. He appeals to God's glory and to God's promises. You, no, you notice that. He talks about, don't do this for your namesake. Don't disgrace the throne of thy glory. And then he talks about the covenant. Do you remember when Moses came down out of the mountain only to find that the Israelites had begun worshiping a golden calf? And God says, tells Moses that he's going to wipe out the whole people and he's just going to keep Moses and he's going to start a new nation. But Moses says, please don't. And on what basis does he make that plea? Well, in Exodus 32, it says in verse 11, And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. On what basis did Moses make that plea to God? He said, God, if you do this, it will allow the nations around to look at Israel and laugh. It will hurt the cause of your glory. And then he talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he says, God, you made this promise to them. That, they would, that, that, that you would continue this work forever. And, and, and what of that promise? And as Moses makes that plea to God, God listens and God repents. Now we could get into the whole idea of God repenting and what all that means, but that was the basis of Moses' plea. And God listened. Think about Nehemiah chapter 1. There, Nehemiah pleads with God to allow his people to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And he makes his prayer based on, and, and I'm not going to take the time to read it, but you can read it right there in, in Nehemiah 1, based on God's glory and God's promises. And over and over again through Scripture, we find these two, these two truths being at the heart, being the basis of so many prayers. And so many uh, of the great prayers of Scripture are based on one or both of those principles. On, on a, a plea to God uh, concerning His glory or concerning His promises. And I think there's a lesson for us there. It's not that we think, okay, these are our bargaining chips with God. If I can make a prayer based on a desire for His glory, then He can't say no. We understand it's not like that. But we ought to realize that if our prayer are prayers are based on those two pillars they rest on a firm foundation prayers that are based on a desire for our convenience or comfort might not necessarily be sinful but if our prayers are based on the glory and promises of God we can pray with great confidence but along with that very importantly we find Jeremiah's submission 
in verse 22, Jeremiah concludes his prayer with a declaration of praise. He says, Are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Art not thou he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait upon thee, for thou hast made all these things. Jeremiah recognizes and acknowledges God's power over creation. And in doing that, he makes it clear that those who rest in God are standing on solid ground. In his prayer, Jeremiah didn't only see himself and his people clearly, he also saw God clearly. Good theology is really important if we're going to have a vibrant prayer life. I think that you can have robust theology without having a deep prayer life, but I don't think that we can truly have a deep prayer life without robust theology. If we're going to walk with God, we need to know who He is as revealed in Scripture. Our prayers must be truth-driven before they are emotion-driven. Jeremiah knew who God was. And that was the basis of his prayer. And if we are going to have the, the, the prayer life we ought to have as Christians, we need to know who God is. So that's how Jeremiah prays for his people. And then as we move into the beginning of chapter 15, we find that God answers. God begins in verse 1 with a fairly shocking statement. He says, Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, Yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Moses and Samuel were both greatly respected leaders of the Jewish people, but they were both unique because both men served as both political and religious leaders of the people of Israel. Here God is saying, I don't care if you have men at the top if you had men at the top who were faithfully leading my people both politically and spiritually I would still declare this judgment. In other words, the people are just too far gone. Even the greatest and best leaders couldn't turn them around now. That's a shocking statement for Jeremiah to receive from God. Especially considering the fact that most likely this was still under the reign of Josiah. Perhaps Jeremiah is thinking, under a godly king like Josiah, perhaps he could be the godly leader that could, that could lead our nation in the right way and, and turn us back from the brink of judgment. But God says, if Moses and Samuel were there, it still wouldn't be enough. The people's hearts are so far from God, they have turned their backs on him so completely that no amount of godly leadership is going to turn this ship around. And that's a sobering thought. In verses 2 and 3, God delineates the ways that they're going to die and suffer. In verse 4, he invokes the name of Manasseh, blaming that wicked king um, and his sin for the coming exile. In verse 6, God says, Thou hast forsaken me, saith the Lord. Thou art gone backward. Therefore will I stretch out my hand against thee and destroy thee. I am weary with repenting. And then in verse 7, And I will fan them with a fan in the gates of the land. The idea there is uh, the idea of winnowing. 
where someone would take the grain and they would either, they might use a fan. Most often they would just let the wind carry the chaff out. They would throw it up in the air or they would dump it like you see in this picture and allow the chaff to be carried away. God says, that's what I'm going to do to you. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they return not from their ways. What an answer to Jeremiah's prayer. God is steadfast in his promise of judgment. He is not moving from that resolve. So does that mean that Jeremiah's prayer was pointless? Should he have just said, well, God will do what God will do. No, no use going to him and praying about it. Though there are times when what seem like completely valid prayers do not get the answer we wished for, prayer is no less important. As we pray, we need to be open to what God has to say. It's not just about making our petitions and hoping really hard that we get what we want. Sometimes we will get the answers we want and sometimes we won't. But that is not the one point of prayer. And prayer is, should not just be a one-way street. Now, I'm not talking about hearing an audible answer from God like Jeremiah did. But we need to pray with an open heart and an open Bible. And I'm not talking about something mystic where, you know, you say a prayer and then you open your Bible and you put your finger down and hope that there's an answer in that verse. That's not what I mean. But I just mean we need to be open to the truth that God wants to teach us and how he wants to work in our hearts as we pray to him. We ought to pray with our Bibles open just as we ought to read our Bibles with a prayerful heart. That sort of talking to and learning from God can lead to the sort of genuine fellowship that we see here between Jeremiah and God. So Jeremiah has prayed, God has answered, and it's not the answer that Jeremiah was expecting or hoping for, and he does what we often do when that happens. Jeremiah complains. Verse 10, Woe is me, my mother, that thou hast borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent on usury, nor men have lent to me on usury, yet every one of them does curse me. Once again, like we saw last week, Jeremiah is showing his discouragement. Woe is me, he says. He says, People haven't been borrowing money from me, and I haven't been borrowing money from them, but for some reason they're still all mad at me. And it makes me laugh that he uses that, that, that type of language as he's talking about this, but Jeremiah certainly was not joking as he's speaking here. Despite everything that Jeremiah is doing, God is still steadfast in his judgment, and Jeremiah, I think, feels like a waste of time. Now, here, it does seem that Jeremiah is out of line. It seems that he's adopted an I, I'm sorry for my, I feel sorry for myself kind of attitude. Um, and though, like Pastor warned us on Sunday, we need to be care careful about being too critical of what people say when they're really suffering. But I would say, though Jeremiah is complaining here, he did get something right. To whom is Jeremiah complaining? He's complaining to God. 
And you might think, well, isn't that the exact wrong thing to do? Well, if Jeremiah is upset, if he feels that things are not fair or not right, should he share that first with God or with other people? And here Jeremiah is sharing his complaint, but he's not airing his complaint, if that makes sense. He's talking to God about what is bothering him. But he's not going out and broadcasting that to everyone. I love the title given by the biblical author to Psalm 102. He calls the psalm, A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. Have you ever poured out your complaint before the Lord? You show me a Christian who's never said anything rash or out of line in prayer to God, and I dare say I can show you a Christian who prays far too little. God wants us to have hearts that are in line with his word, but I think it is good and it is right for us to turn to him and share our hearts when we feel like complaining to Now, as we do that, we need to have humble hearts. We need to be ready to be reproved. We need to be ready for God to correct us. But I think that for us to take our burdened and hurting hearts to God is pleasing and even honoring to him. If we go to him and share the true state of our emotions with him. Even as we looked at chapter 20 last week, when Jeremiah was on the brink of despair, he does the right thing and he turns first to God to share that darkness that is overshadowing his heart. And here in Jeremiah 15, Jeremiah is sharing his complaint with God. And like I said, I I don't think that he is... He is in line that he's right in in the things he's saying to God or the way that he's expressing himself to God. But when he hears God's word and his inner reaction is negative against it, he's, he's honest with God about that. So he shares his complaint and then once again God answers him in verses 11 through 14. Well, that was uh, in the wrong place, but that's okay. All right, God answers. He responds to Jeremiah's complaint, and he responds with a gentle love that is touching to see. In verse 11, we see God's promise of mercy. The Lord said, Verily it shall be well with thy remnant. Verily I will cause the enemy to entreat thee well in the time of evil and in the time of affliction. Um, There's a couple of things to note here. First of all, God mentions the remnant. So there will be some who will escape the horror that is to come. That in itself would be a great encouragement to Jeremiah's heart. This whole ministry has not been for nothing. There are those who are going to heed the message. There are those who are going to stay faithful to God. There is going to be a remnant. Amidst all the wickedness and idolatry, some will remain. God also promises Jeremiah that the enemy that the others have to fear so deeply 
is going to treat him well. And it's exciting to see that, that promise of God come to pass, as we'll see in later lessons. But when all the others flee in terror, Jeremiah is going to be able to be safe. The tables will be turned. But God follows up that promise with a promise of no mercy in verses 12 through 14. He makes it clear that the preservation of the remnant does not mean that he has weakened his resolve to punish Judah for her rebellion. He says in verses 12 through 14, Shall iron break the northern iron in the steel? Thy substance and thy treasures will I give to the spoil without price, and that for all thy sins, even in all thy borders. And I will make thee to pass with thine enemies into a land which thou knowest not. For a fire is kindled in mine anger, which shall burn upon you. Jeremiah will be preserved, but all around him, the fire of God's anger is going to burn. For all their sins, the people of Judah are going to be conquered and exiled. As this conversation goes on between God and Jeremiah, it becomes more and more personal for Jeremiah. And we find in verses 15 through 18, he prays for himself. He has pled with God for his nation. He's received a clear answer about where they stand and what they have to expect. And now he turns to plea for himself. He says to God in verse 15, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. I love that phrase that he begins with, O Lord, thou knowest. So many of our prayers begin that way. Lord, you, you know it all. You, you, you already know everything I'm about to say to you. But Jeremiah recognizes that. He realizes none of this is outside of God's knowledge or outside of God's control. He, God already has a handle on all of it, but still Jeremiah prays. He asks for God to remember and avenge him. He's already experienced a great deal of hate, and there's already been at least one plot against his life uh, by his own townspeople, no less. But here Jeremiah asks for grace. He asks for vengeance. And he asks for God's patience because of all he has undergone. And then he provides further justification of his request in verses 16 and 17. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand, for thou hast filled me with indignation. He's saying that he has faithfully declared God's word. He has avoided those who have ridiculed God's word. He has faced loneliness. He has faced the inner burning of anger against sin all in God's name and all for God's sake. And Jeremiah is laying it all out. And, and right here his words remind me of what Peter asked of, of Christ in Matthew 19, 27. He, he said, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Saying, here's what we've done for you. What do we get in return? And, and this sort of self-justification can feel like irreverence or pride. But I think that here, Jeremiah is just laying everything out before the Lord. He's saying, look, this is what I've done. I've been faithful to you, and I've suffered for it. This has been hard. And then he goes on to ask some heart-rending questions in verse 18. Why is my pain perpetual? 
and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar, and as waters that fail? Once again, Jeremiah is showing that his heart is in pain. He is struggling. I think this is a combination of being broken over the state of his people and the judgment they face, and the hurt of the rejection and loneliness that Jeremiah himself is experiencing. He is in a lot of emotional, if not even physical, pain. And he's saying God seems at times to be like a liar, like waters that fail, like God is promising things but not delivering, like Jeremiah is expecting to be upheld and strengthened by God, and he finds that strength lacking. What an honest expression of the ups and downs of the spiritual life. How many of us have not known? Yes, ma'am. Can I add one thing? Absolutely. I have a notation in my Bible in verse 18 where I had written that Jeremiah asked, can he trust God? That he was at the bottom of the pit. <coughs> yeah. Well, and that's really the question here. He's basically saying, I have... I have lived my life based on your call on my life. And he's, he talks about that in verses 16 and 17. You know, Thy words were found and I didn't eat them. Thy word was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. It's all been about your word. You called me. I have rejected those who reject you. I have sat alone because of the ministry you've given me. And then I turn to you for strength. And it seems that strength is failing. And that really is his question. Can I trust you? Has it all been for nothing? Has it been a lie? How many of us have not known a dry spell in our Christian life? When it feels like we've stayed faithful to the things we know we're supposed to do, but the joy and the strength and the vigor just seem to be gone. Like the fountain that we've drunk from so deeply before has gone dry. And when Jeremiah feels that inner dryness, that emptiness, he goes to the right place. Charles Feinberg, in his commentary on Jeremiah, says, Jeremiah manifested a complete frankness with God, concealing from him no emotional reaction and no fear. And understand me here. There are some things going on in Jeremiah's heart that are wrong, that God is going to need to correct him on. I'm not saying that everything Jeremiah is saying or everything Jeremiah is doing is right, or that he's thinking the right way. But he turns to God. And when he has questions and he's wondering and he's not sure and he's doubting, that is exactly what he needs to do. And Jeremiah's, the default of his life when those times came was for him to turn to God. And if there's no other lesson we can get from Jeremiah's life here, I think it's that one. That needs to be our default. Before we would think of turning to anyone else or anything else, including our own intellect and our own ability to figure things out, we need to be turning to God just like Jeremiah did. And these conversations that Jeremiah has with God throughout this book remind me so much of the Psalms. 
I think Jeremiah's heart cry is the cry of Psalm 61. Psalm 61, verses 1 through 2. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Jeremiah's heart is overwhelmed. And I really think the heart, his heart cry is, God, show me. Help me understand. Help me to see you. Help me to find my feet once again on the rock that is higher than I. So Jeremiah cries out to God, and again we find that God answers. Verses 19 through 21. God responds to Jeremiah as he has before and as he will again, and he gives Jeremiah both a word of challenge and a word of comfort. In verse 19, we find God's charge. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, If thou return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vile, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. So God tells Jeremiah here to return. It seems that he's warning Jeremiah that his heart is straying in the wrong direction. God seems to be suggesting to Jeremiah that that dryness, those doubts that Jeremiah is experiencing, are not God's fault. They're Jeremiah's. Jeremiah has allowed his heart to wander away from God. Without, it appears, even realizing it. He's let himself distance himself from God. He's let himself wander away. He's let his heart turn towards the other people who have rejected God. And God says he needs to separate the precious from the, from the vile to respond to God's purging work in his heart. And, and God says, it's fine if the people come and join you, Jeremiah, but you are not to go and join them. The loneliness that Jeremiah talked about, God is saying, don't give in to the temptation that you have. I, I just don't want to feel alone anymore. I, I, I feel like I'm the only guy who's standing strong on God's word. And if I give in a little bit, I'll be able to have some company. And I think that's the temptation in Jeremiah's heart. And God is saying, if they want to get right with me and join you, that's great, Jeremiah, but don't take a single step in that direction. God's desire is that Jeremiah would continue to stand before the people on his behalf and speak for him. But Jeremiah's heart needs to be pure. So God challenges Jeremiah. But I love the fact that his words here are not just a challenge. He also offers promises. He says in verses 20 and 21, And I will make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. God offers words of comfort to Jeremiah. And I love this because when we get down, sometimes we need someone to offer us a gentle word of encouragement and a hand reaching out softly to help us up. And other times, we need somebody to give us a kick in the pants. And most of the time, we need a little bit of both. And that's exactly what God gives Jeremiah here. He says, Jeremiah, don't lie to yourself. You need to return to me. 
but I'm going to make you like a brass wall. The people are going to come after you. They're going to fight against you, but I'm not going to let them take you down. And so here God gives Jeremiah both a wake-up call and a spiritual lifeline. Like the perfect father he is, he offers his son an important and timely warning, but that warning is accompanied by a warm embrace. So the chapter ends with God reiterating his promise from Jeremiah 1, verses 18 and 19. It's as if God is saying to Jeremiah, I am here since the very beginning I've been here. Whatever else has changed, my presence with you has not changed. I'm not going anywhere. I will continue to strengthen you and protect you, and you will successfully carry out my commission. Now, it, it feels like a whirlwind to try to even touch on all the great truths about prayer that we find just in this one passage from the life of Jeremiah. But I want to take just a moment to think about a few key truths that we can glean from Jeremiah's example here. And there are so many other things, even that we've touched on tonight and other things that we haven't had time for. But as we think about Jeremiah's prayer life, we understand, he, of course, he's not a perfect example. But I believe in many ways he models for us the prayer life of someone who is genuinely seeking to know and follow God. So we found that Jeremiah's prayer life was honest. He didn't hold back or act hypocritically when he came before God. He bared his heart. There was no hiding anything. Uh, there was no lying to himself or trying to lie to God. He was honest. Jeremiah's prayer life was also theological. He knew God, and he prayed according to the reality of who God is. He wasn't praying to an image of himself or of who he felt God to be, as I'm afraid many times we as Christians can do. He was praying to God as he is revealed in Scripture. Jeremiah's prayer life was humble. He knew that he was neither omnipotent nor omniscient. He acknowledged his sinfulness, and he acknowledged God's greatness, and he was ready to hear from God, even if that meant being corrected. And then we also find that his prayer life was personal. He wasn't just praying about a list of things or focusing on the nation. He talked to God about what was going on in his heart and life. This was more than just making petitions. He was sharing his life. When we come to God, there are many things for us to consider. He is the king. And he demands and he deserves our honor and our fear. He's also our father. And he deserves our affection and our trust. He's also our friend who deserves our openness and honesty. And let's remember that prayer is not primarily transactional. It's not, I do this and I expect you to do this. Prayer is primarily relational. There are times when I talk to someone and I have a list of things that I want to tell them or ask them for. 
But if that's all that our con conversations consist of, there's no relationship there. Frameworks for prayer or checklists or acrostics might be helpful. But at its heart, prayer is me knowing God and sharing my heart and my life with God. And I think that the most genuine prayers of my life have often been the least orthodox. Those that have just been the cry of my heart in a difficult moment, or that have consisted of me being just completely honest before God in ways that, looking back, might have even felt irreverent. But they were genuine prayers to God, genuine communication with God. Consider the great prayers of the Bible. How many of them follow a strict framework? How many of them feature an organized list of requests? Don't get me wrong, some do. And I'm not saying those things are bad. But genuine prayer will probably mean sometimes setting all of that aside and opening our hearts up before God and just sharing what is there. It might mean, like it did for Jeremiah, just opening up and sharing our emotions with God. It might be asking questions of God. It might be sharing our complaints with God, the things that are bothering us, the things that seem wrong. But I think God wants more of us who pray like Jeremiah. We find so many people in Scripture praying beautiful, theologically rich prayers, but I don't think it's because they practiced how to turn a phrase or because they knew certain boxes to check. I think it was because they knew God. As God so often reminds his people in the book of Jeremiah and in the Old Testament generally, it's not the framework of worship that pleases God, it is the heart. Psalm 51 verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. I quoted Charles Feinberg earlier, um, and he he wrote a commentary on Jeremiah, which is featured in the Expositor's Bible Commentary, um, one of the sources on your, on your handout. His name's not on there, but he's the one who wrote on Jeremiah. And uh, he says in that, in that commentary, nothing is more revealing of a man of God than his prayer life. Jeremiah lived, worked, and wept in an atmosphere of prayer and openness before God. What is it that will sustain a servant of God, even in the face of rejection and persecution? I believe that it is learning to live and work and weep in that atmosphere of prayer and openness before God. May God help us to live in that atmosphere. May God help us pray more like Jeremiah. I want to see if there are uh, questions or comments this week. Anything that arises from that material. You mentioned about being brutally honest with God. Because remember, God already knows everything that's in our minds, and our thoughts, and our struggles. We just blurt it out to Him. 
Yeah. Well, and the people that we know the best are the people that we feel like we can be the most honest with. The people who we're closest to, we feel like we can talk to them about those things that are, are harder to talk about or things that we wouldn't even try to talk to people we don't know as well about. And uh, it's always troubling to me when I feel like I would want to talk to a person about something before I'd want to talk to God because that tells me I'm closer to that person than I am to God. And uh, I, I appreciate what you said. Uh, you know, he, things that, it, certain things that we'd share even with people that we love might shock us that they would say, you know, you're thinking that way or you're feeling that way, but none of it's going to shock God. Anything else tonight? I have to say that, um, these, uh, these lessons are very convicting. <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've enjoyed studying it, and I've been looking forward to studying it, but every week I feel like, man, I, I think I need, somebody else needs to, I wish we could just get Jeremiah in and get him to talk, because I don't feel like I, I, can, I can adequately express these things, because these are areas in my life that need so much growth, where I... I'm, I'm so far from being the servant and the messenger for God that I ought to be. Um, and that, honestly, is one of the things that uh, drew me to this book and that I'm hoping can be a, a real challenge to all of us. Um, I will uh, draw your attention to the reading for this week. You will notice um, it's at the bottom of your handout um, on the back. You will notice that the chapters selected for the reading seem pretty random. Up to this point, they've all been uh, together with how we have our Bible laid out. Um, That's because at this point in the book, the chronology starts to get a little weird. And my goal with the reading is to try to take you through Jeremiah's life chronologically, um, which is easier in some parts than others. Um, But theoretically, each week you'll be reading chapters that all happened around the same time and we will slowly move forward in time towards the fall of Jerusalem. And so, with the way Jeremiah is laid out in our Bible, we'll kind of be jumping around a little bit, but hopefully the chapters you'll be reading each week will kind of uh, be cohesive as far as when in Jeremiah's life they were happening. Um, Next Wednesday, we're going to consider the overwhelming response that Jeremiah faced when he preached, and that was rejection. We're going to focus on one story in particular, and uh, we'll, we'll learn from that as well as some other examples and then see how Jeremiah reacted to that. And uh, looking forward to that. Let's pray, and we'll be done. Father, thank you that we can come before you. Thank you that uh, everything is naked and open before you. Uh, we hide nothing. And Father, help us be honest with you about the things we struggle with, the questions that we have, uh, the areas that we know that we're wrong and we need your help to be right. Uh, Lord, help us to be open with you. Help us be honest with you. Help us to know your word so that we can pray to you in a way that's in line with who you truly are. Lord, help us be humble when we pray, to realize that our way is not always best. 
and what seems like the clear way forward is not always what would truly be most for your glory. Help us to submit to whatever your will is and be ready for an answer that is not what we expect or want. And Lord, help us to be truly building a relationship, a walk with you. That our prayer would be more than a habit, that it would be more than something that's part of a checklist, uh, that it would truly be the cornerstone of a thriving relationship with you. And Lord, we know that every one of us tonight um, ought to be and can be closer to you than we are right now. Would you help us desire that and seek that? And help us to have a prayer life that mirrors that of Jeremiah. Not because he was anything great, but because he looked to the God who is great. And guide us this week. Help us be faithful servants. Help us to be bold. Help us to be compassionate. Help us be like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.